have the privilege of introducing Sandy Mason. This is Sandy Mason. Uh, Sandy, some fun facts about Sandy. He's been a pastor over 40 years. Yeah, I started when I was seven. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Arizona's son got to you there. So, there you go. Um, I'm going to get to you in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pastor about 40 years, lead pastor 30, uh, lead pastor in Baltimore for a little while. Then he planted a church up in North Scottsdale where he was the lead guy for about 18 years before he semi-retired. And now he, uh, for a while, he was working at the Bonhoeffer Project, mentoring, coaching pastors across the nation. And then about a year ago, we hired him part-time to be a pastor to our lead pastors. And so at Redemption Church, we have 10 congregations, and uh, some of them have two lead pastors, uh, co-pastors. And so he's on the executive team and helps mentor and kind of shepherd those, those folks. And so yeah. he's been here a year now. We're very grateful for him. Yeah. Another fun fact about him is he got converted, became a follower of Jesus, hung over at the frat house of which he was a president at ASU. So <laughs> some of you can relate with that today. <laughs> so, right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Sandy's here. So thanks for coming, Sandy. No, I'm grateful for you. Uh, let's to welcome here. Sandy Redemption Gateway. Thank you. Yeah, I love your, love your lead team. Love Luke. It's been fun to build that friendship. He sent me a text this morning from Turkey saying, uh, go get him, be nice to him. Uh, don't be better than me, I think he said something like that. <laughs> and uh, Seth, you know, Seth, he's just an unusual dude. And he, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I said, Seth, how, how's that little baby? Well, everything's going as planned. <laughs> Hello, uh, headquarters. The trout homo sapien is uh, progressing as we designed it. <laughs> you know. Just kind of the facts, right, brother? Just the facts, right? Love him, yeah, and he loves Christ. you got a great staff here. Well, hello, Gateway. Good to be back. Some of you guys, you know the guys at the men's day that I spoke? And you still return. God bless you. you the wife, you got to go through what I went through. That's what you told your wife today. you got to suffer this. Let's pause in prayer together, shall we? Father, I thank you that you are here in this house, here in the west part of the valley, in Arizona, even as you are in the Ukraine, as we prayed, you are here. And that this moment matters to you. That you know every story. You know every life. You, you know their history. You know where they're going. You know the hairs on their head. You know their words before they speak them. And we want to hear from you. May I just be an instrument that you would use today for your word and your spirit to speak to these ones for whom you died. To the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yeah, the Christian life. What are we doing, the Christian life? Uh, I, I think we're just trying to make nice people nicer. Isn't that what we're doing here? That's what they're thinking when they drive by today on Pecos. You know, they're driving by right now and they're seeing all these cars. They're wondering, what are all those people doing there? Just a bunch of guilt-ridden folks trying to figure out how to be good. Maybe God will let them in heaven. That is so not what we're doing. Uh, you know, I was not looking for Jesus. I was looking for, for fun and a, maybe a purpose. Had a big hole in my heart that nothing would fill. Achievement, sports, accolades, girlfriends, drinking. Nothing seemed to fill this hole until Jesus showed up. And I realized he was everything I'd been looking for. But, but I tell you, he found me, ladies and gentlemen. I was not on a religious seeking hunt. I wasn't reading all the great uh, religious minds of the centuries. I was just a frat guy trying to have a good time and not flunk out of school 
and uh, maybe go to law school, and then Jesus showed up. And that's what he does. He loves sinners. So if we could tell the folks driving by on Pecos, we'd say, you know, we're, we are people who know that we're sinful, and we found a God who says, I've dealt with that. And that's what we're going to talk about today, a God who says, I've dealt with that. And I mean, he has really dealt with it. He has dealt with it in such a way that you should not be dealing with the guilt or shame of that at all. Paul wrote in Romans, there is now zero, zero condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why do you keep condemning yourself? Why do you keep judging and comparing yourself when God is not doing that and he's the only one that matters? That's what we're going to talk about today. Theology is so critical. The foundation, the truth that you understand, that determines how you live. So if you don't have, you're kind of shaky on on the truth about Jesus and the Christian life, and what will happen then is you'll fall back into your default position, which is to perform and hope you get the verdict that you want. Excuse me. Because that's how life works. The teacher told you, if you'll perform and do your homework and do these tests, then I will give you this grade. Uh, The coach said, if you'll come to practice and you'll learn the plays and you'll do this, then you'll get to play. So everything LeBas said, if you'll make these sales, if you'll do this, then I'll reward you with this income. So everything in life says... The verdict's not in yet. The verdict's not in. You, you've got to work, and then we'll let you know how you did at the end. Christianity says the verdict is done. Now, how are you going to live? Religion's just the opposite. Religion says, all right, go to services, go through ceremonies, now do some good works, and then we'll give you a score at the end. Biblical Christianity says, Jesus finished it. That's what we're talking about. Theology is everything. That's why Paul, when he writes his letters, if you notice Paul's letters, uh, most of them start with theology. Theology is not boring. It's just great truth that will set you free. So he, he doesn't ever talk about how to live the Christian life till he has made clear what is the Christian life, what the Christian life is rooted in, what we stand on. So Ephesians, six chapters, first three, great theology. Starts with mind-blowing truth. Before we made the world, we knew you. No way. Yes. Ephesians 1. Before the foundation of the earth, the Father, Son, and Spirit talked about you. So get your theology cleared. Now we'll talk about how then shall I live. Same with Colossians. Get your theology. Get your feet on solid truth. Go back to that truth. Have you discovered that you leak I have to go back to truth all the time. It's not like, okay, I got that sermon. I don't need to come to church for about six years because I got that one, Seth. No, no, I leak. That's why I, gotta, I need this routine. Every seven days, I need to come back and go, oh, yeah, that's who I am. Oh, yeah, that's the truth. Okay. Uh, that's why it's good you're here because looking at you, you need to be here. I'm telling you. you know. <laughs> it's really fun to be with you. Let's turn. If you have a Bible or a phone, or whatever you use, uh, turn to John 19 with me. The crucifixion scene, this is holy ground, isn't it? It's just, it's just mind-blowing. That Paul wrote in Colossians, you know, Jesus is the one through whom, by whom, and for whom, those prepositions are so important, 
Everything was made through Him, by Him, and for Him. That being, that powerful creative genius of a God is now hanging on a Roman cross. What is going on? It's the plan. He's not an accident. He's not a tragic uh, moral example of an innocent victim uh, chewed up in the gears of some religious and political bureaucracy. No, he's here by a plan. When he is baptized, John the Baptist will say, behold, uh, the great moral example, come to show us how to be nice people. No, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And all the Jewish people went, Lamb of God, that sounds like Passover. What? Blood, angel of death, Passover. Yeah, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus will say in John chapter 10, you guys have been going through John, you remember his words? He said, I'm the good shepherd, and by the way, no one takes my life from me. Nobody takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. I'll give my life when I'm ready to give my life, when the Father has said, now's the time, that's when I'll give my life. That's why on many occasions in the Gospels, you saw where the crowd would turn on him, or people would want to get their hands on him, and all the Gospel writers say, and Jesus went away. He just got through. Like Star Wars, Obi-Wan, you know, you don't see me, I'm going through. It wasn't time. It wasn't time. And now here on the cross we have this, this stark and bold relief, the contrast of the absolute wickedness and cruelty and, and, and base horror of man and what he can think of to torture another human alongside the amazing, beautiful, powerful, unstoppable purposes of a loving God all coming together clash at the cross and you and I are right here witnessing this event let's pick it up in verse 28 after this Jesus knowing that all was now finished it's just about time for him to give up his spirit and he's as we'll see, going to give it up. All is about finished. And to fulfill, fulfill the Scripture, oh, we're going to keep seeing that little parentheses from John, to fulfill the Scripture, to fulfill the Scripture, as we move into what we call the passion, that last week of Jesus and his arrest and the torture and the flogging and the crucifixion, it, it's like historical dominoes are just going boom, 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 boom. You know, you've seen those shows where They'll fill a room like this full of dominoes and make these forms and start one and everything just starts going. That, it's like the dominoes are just falling like mad now as Jesus is fulfilling Scripture after Scripture. He's not reading a script. Don't misunderstand. When he says at the end of verse 28, I thirst, he's not like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to say now. No, he, he's suffering. He has a real body, real flesh. He has been tortured. He's been spit upon, flogged, thorns driven to his scalp. He, he's hanging. The only way he's alive is he's got his feet on that little piece of wood at the base of the cross where he can push up so he can get a breath. He, he's suffering. He's in physical agony. This was Roman genius. What's the most horrid way we can execute someone and it'll last a long time? So that everybody going down our highways can see this is what happens when you mess with Rome. Like that? Well, then shape up. Jesus is suffering. He's really thirsty. The Scripture gives a picture of this. Look at Psalm 22. Friends, throw that one up. Psalm 22. 
This is David, King David, hundreds of years before this event, and this was part of the gift of David. God would give, he'd have words, he'd write words in a psalm and had no idea that they were echoing through the corridors of time to be fulfilled fully in the life of Jesus. So this is truth for David. He's experiencing this in some agony in his own personal life. He needed a rough life, but how it throws us toward the cross is amazing. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. That sounds like the crucifixion. My heart's like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength's dried up like a potsherd, like just dry clay, and my tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. That's crucifixion. You have this raging thirst. All the fluids you've been bleeding, and all the fluids are, are gathered now around your vital organs to try to keep you alive, so your mouth is as dry as you can ever imagine. And so he says, I thirst, and they hear him, and there's a jar of sour wine there, and they give it to him. And he takes it. Now, some of you will remember, wait, earlier in another gospel account, He was offered wine, it said, mixed with myrrh, which is an anesthesia, little Tylenol thrown in with the wine to dull the pain, to help you endure the suffering. Jesus denied that, remember? It's as if he said, no, I I don't want to be dulled to this. I need to drink this cup, you know, Gethsemane. I need to drink this cup all the way. I don't want to be out of it while I'm going through this. So he said no to that wine, but now this wine he'll take because he needs some moisture because he's got one last thing to say, something very important. And he says, I thirst, and they give him wine, and he takes it. Look at uh, Psalm 69, 21. They gave me poison for food. This is David's testimony, a real experience in his life. For my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Wow. From David through the quarters of time, centuries later, fulfillment in Jesus. I think that's cool. You might be bored to death. I don't know. I think it's pretty good. They put the wine on a hyssop branch. Last time a hyssop branch had any prominence in the Scriptures, it's back in Exodus. And Moses says, here's here's the last curse coming to Egypt because they won't let my people go. You know the story. You saw the movie. And so the angel of death is coming through the land, and the way that you will be protected is if they see the blood of a male lamb with no broken bones, that becomes significant later in our passage, this unblemished male lamb will take his blood and will put it over the doorpost of the entrance to our house. So picture with me, you're standing, and they said, use a hyssop branch. So they take the hyssop branch, would dip it in the blood, and then the father would put blood here, here, and here on the doorpost of his house. What does that remind you of? And now, by accident, they're taking a hyssop branch to give wine to the Lamb of God. This must all be made up. This, it couldn't be. Just too much. Too cool. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, Oh, I'm finished. No, he didn't say, I'm finished. It is finished. It 
Oh, there's so much in that little two-letter word. It is finished. His great heart, oh, he wanted to cry that out. It is finished. All of it. All I came to do. All that we knew I would have to do back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed and the father had to kill an animal and take its skin and blood was shed in the garden for the first time from the start of the price of sin there, the wages of sin is death. This animal died to cover you, that which was carried on through the law of Moses and the Mosaic law, and there's lots of blood and lots of animals, lots of sacrifice to the words of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who will be pierced through for your transgressions, suffered for your iniquities, all of that, all that biblical history, it's all now in culmination. It's finished. It all of it, the redemption, the, the disarming of invisible dark powers. Listen to this. Listen to Colossians. I'll read it for you. you don't, it's too cool. Don't even waste time looking. Just listen to these words. Colossians 2, 13. And you were dead in your trespasses. By the way, you knew that, right? Uh, I was dead to Christ, and Christ made me alive you were dead to Christ and He made you alive. You weren't just a nice religious seeker who decided of all the different options while well, I'll go with Christianity. Even if you did that, you only did that because He led you to that place. You're dead until He comes. And that's Paul's words. Made you alive together with Him, forgiving all of our trespasses, past, present, future. Listen to this. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Picture Jesus on the cross and there's a list of all your sins on the cross. And they're all being written in His blood. Paid. 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 Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, listen to this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, invisible dark spirits, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, hell exploded. Satan fell like lightning from the sky, Jesus' own prophetic words. He was defeated. He couldn't stop him. He tried to stop him in the temptation. Remember Jesus, uh, let's have a conversation before you start your ministry. I know you're hungry and I know you could make some bread. Why don't you bake some bread and we'll talk about how I can give you the nations. In other words, I'll give you a shortcut, Jesus, and you won't have to do what I think I know is coming. And Jesus, of course, resists all those false temptations. That's always Satan's way, don't you know, is a shortcut. Oh, you want happiness, pleasure? I'll give you a shortcut. This biblical way, it's too slow. And Come on, take the shortcut. I digress. It is finished. The word, Greek word, tetelestai. It means it, it, the work is completed now, and grammatically it has an ongoing result, which is exactly what happened at the cross. It was completed now, and the result is that you and I, now 2,000 years later, Jesus says over you and I, it is now finished for us. So, 2 Corinthians 5. I love this one. He made him who knew no sin. Don't you love that turn of words Paul uses? He made him who knew no sin to become sin, no small thing, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Not so that you might become a good churchgoer, a good religious gal, a nicer person. No, you go from dead and damned, you go from dead and damned to the righteousness of God. Could you buy that? Could you make that happen? Could you argue that case for yourself? Absolutely not. That's why this biblical Christianity is so ridiculous. It's so big. It's either true or it's just nuts. And the empty tomb shouts to us from 2,000 years ago, it's true. It's true. Dear one, it is finished for you. There is nothing more that you need to do for your salvation. You can't undo it. It's done. You were transferred from death and darkness into the kingdom of light. And in heaven, you know, there's, people aren't jumping back and forth. It's done. Paul says, you are now hidden with Christ in the heavenlies. It's as if you're already home. In other words, you are home free. When he said it's finished over you, when you came to faith in Christ, Jesus said, it's finished over you. There's nothing more you need to do with your salvation. It's secured. You are bought with the price that you could never pay, never come up with. It's his gift to you. Now, the scary thing is, now, you can do whatever you want. Now, pastors have always hesitated to say that to their congregants, because you're going to take advantage of that. I mean, I don't really want you to do anything you want. So we throw in some conditions. Well, you can do anything you want, but don't, you know, carry it away. God might zap you, or I might not let you usher anymore. You know, we, we got to have a few hooks to keep you in line because you do embarrassing stuff, <laughs> sinful stuff. It's finished. You don't need to add anything to it. Would you stand on the Grand Canyon? Anybody been at the Grand Canyon in person? Who's hiked it? Who's crazy here and hiked it? Yeah, way to go. Wait, you're, yeah, girl, come on. I hiked that. More than once? Twice? Oh, you are going to heaven. My goodness. <laughs> All right, so we're standing at the Grand Canyon. We're at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and we're looking at the glory. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just glorious, isn't it? It's just billions and billions of years. Yeah, right, the flood. <laughs> just like Mount St. Helens in Washington. They got a little mini Grand Canyon in seconds through explosion of uh, lava and water. So you're looking at this Grand Canyon, and it's gorgeous, and there's a beautiful Colorado, and, and it's just, and you look at that, and then here's what you do. You spit in it. And then you say, there, now it's complete. When you tell Jesus, okay, I'll, I'll finish my salvation, I'll do some good religious works, or you tell another person, well, you got to be good, or you got to do this or that in order to secure your salvation, you're spitting in the glorious work of the cross. You can't add to that. Your righteousness is filthy rags compared to what he has done. So stop adding to it. Stop performing. The verdict is done. It's finished. You are free. You are forgiven. Now, live like you... Do what you want. And if you really understand, what you'll want to do is say what I said back in that fraternity room Sunday morning, Jesus, if this is true, then I'm yours, man. Whatever you want to do with me, wherever you want to take me, I don't know about a pastor gig, that's kind of weird, but uh, 
And he said, oh, you pastor you mentioned. Okay. <laughs> don't ever tell him what you won't do. No, he's not like that. That's terrible. But that's the right response. If you really understand his love and what he has done and what has been paid and how he has known you before the world was made and that this is sovereign design and that he knows the hairs on your head and that he's finishing this work in you and that he's gifted you and he secured your future and he's got a place for you he's preparing if you start when all that starts to get in there the only response is oh i'm yours i'm yours so when you meet people that say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church much, I don't really get in the Word. I used to make them feel guilty. That was what, young pastors, that's your great tool, guilt. Oh, you better get to church. <laughs> you know? What if he comes back and you're on the golf course? You don't want to be there. You want to be in church, man. You know, I, I, that just didn't work. What I learned what works is when you, when this truth starts to sink in, and I, I mean, this truth just gets richer and deeper all every year, doesn't it? You never get it. That's the joy, the beauty of the Word of God. It just, oh, it's so rich, so good. Free of shame, free of guilt. We, we should be just kind of people that laugh easy, cry easy, play well, work hard, but we're not afraid. And we're not fueled by guilt or shame. Because it's all finished. It's all finished. You are home free, dear one. Now, how are you going to live? How are you going to live? How are we doing on time? We're all right. Seth told me he comes out with a big old hook if I go to him. <laughs> all right, back to 19. Chapter 19, John. Jesus bowed his head, almost like an act of worship, isn't it? He bows his head, and he gave up his spirit. My uh, grandmother, my mom's mom, I called her Nunny. Her name was Norma, and I must have heard Norma and said Nunny. And so here I am, a you know, grown man in my 30s. Hi, Nunny. I mean, you know, everybody thought, What's, what do you call that woman? Uh, so I'm in Baltimore pastoring, and she's dying. She's in the hospital. I get the call from my folks. Hey, I think Nunny's going to go. Could you come out? So I fly out. She's unconscious to us. Some of you that have been around folks in this stage, you know, we just, there's a lot of mystery, isn't there, to what's, what they're aware of, what they hear. But she's there in the hospital room. She's breathing, but eyes closed. So I come up. I go, Nunny, it's me. It's Sandy. I, I kiss her forehead. I kiss her cheek. I stroke her hair. And I just remind her that Jesus loves her and that he's going to be the first one she sees when she wakes up. And I said, Nunny... We're all here now, so you can go. And the Lord knows he was there. In about 30 minutes, she went. It's like she'd just been holding till I could get there, say goodbye, remind her that everything was going to be okay, and she gave up her spirit. Those, what, what happens in those final moments, huh? It's uh, sweet, but Jesus made it clear, if you know me, it won't be a horrific moment. It'll be like falling asleep. Well, I can do that. Fall asleep and wake up, and there he is. And probably loved ones. I've had uh, stories from congregants, spouses, whose their husband or wife was dying in the hospital. All of a sudden, they see family members, they see angels, they hear music. You just keep hearing the same stories. So there's, there's, looks like there's a greeting committee waiting for you. Not, you know, a teacher with their arms crossed. Oh, it's you. 
Well, we're still voting on you, so. <laughs> Purgatory, we'll let you know. Uh-oh, sorry. That was... Okay, we're back in the Scripture. John 19, it's the day of preparation. So the bodies, they don't want the bodies on the Sabbath. So the Jews said, would you go break their legs so that they die, we can take them down. As I told you, Jesus, he's on the cross and he's, he, the only way he can breathe is, is to push up with his legs. He's hanging, he's gasping, each push up he gets a little breath. So you see when they come and they break your legs and it's, you know, it's a baseball bat, they break your legs and you die of suffocation. I think Luke told you that last Sunday. That's what really kills you on the cross is suffocation. And uh, so they do that to the, uh, the two others that were being crucified, broke their legs, the first and the other had been in verse 32. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. Why? Oh, they didn't want to waste the time. Why do it? Yes, and the sovereign purposes of God. Huh? How about, uh, so they pierce through and out comes blood and water. Look at Zechariah. Zechariah 12.10, and I'll pour out on the house of David a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly. And that's what the women and the Jews who realized they killed this one good holy man, but they pierced him. Look at the other verses. Uh, Psalm 34. Psalm 34. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. This was in the context of David praying about how God cares for his people, but why did he throw this line in? So that he had to go through the corridors of time. Look, not one bone is broken. That's the rule for the Passover lamb, right? Don't break any of the bones. When you cook it, don't break any of the bones to kill it. It's got to be unbroken. Why? Why did Moses have all these rules about the lamb? So that when Jesus came, the Jew would go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, it's him. It's him. So that you and I would see this is no accident. Scripture's being fulfilled. Did a little uh, reading about odds, odds of things happening. To, in America, the odds are one out of two that someone's going to eat out today at a restaurant. One, so one out of two of you, every day, one out of two Americans is eating out, and one in 20 will be at McDonald's. <laughs> if you live in Sweden, 40 out of every 100 people are uh, senior citizens, but if you live in Fiji, only one in 50 are senior citizens. I guess the sharks get most of them. I don't know. <laughs> this is a funny one. One in 24 Americans subscribe to National Geographic. Who here is getting National Geographic? Anybody do that anymore? Boy, you guys are not the statistical norm in many ways. Right, brother? They are not the norm. So, I ask the question, what are the odds of someone like Jesus fulfilling those prophecies or you know making making his life do that there's like 60 major prophecies about jesus from like the prophet micah hundreds of years before jesus says oh little town of bethlehem you'll you'll be the blessed one out of you will come the messiah 500 years before the town bethlehem is in the old testament prophets so so these guys uh you can look it up peter stoner and robert newman i think they did this back in the 60s they, 
because they were into statistics, what are the odds for someone to just fulfill eight, just fulfill eight of the prophecies of Jesus? What are the odds that he could pull that off? The number is staggering. The number is one to the 17th power. One out of 10 to the 17th power. That's 17 zeros. Well, that still doesn't mean anything to you, so they, they figured out, here's what it would look like. You're, you're not going to believe me, but you can go check the internet on this. They said that would be like taking enough silver dollars. Some of you never seen a silver dollar. You, you haven't seen money for ages. Cause you, uh, silver dollars about this big around. So imagine if you could cover the state of Texas two deep, two layers of silver dollars. The whole state. Texas is pretty big. Anybody from Texas? Come on, proud of it, aren't you? Yeah. We can secede from the Union anytime. The Texans tell me that after I've known them five minutes. They let me know. Okay. So we got two layers of silver dollars all over from Houston to Dallas to San Antonio to El Paso to the Panhandle. Silver dollars. And I'm going to take one one of the silver dollars, I'm going to put a cross on it, and then I'm going to put it somewhere in the state of Texas in that layer. And then I'm going to get a blind atheist. I'm going to say, okay, buddy, find my one silver dollar, and you get one chance. That's the odds of Jesus accidentally fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. See, when there's that kind of information out about the life of Christ and the resurrection just validates all this, you realize that people are not denying Christ because they don't have the right information. They're denying Christ because they want to. Because like me in that fraternity, I was dead to Him until Christ came and found me. It is finished, dear one. It is finished. It is finished. You don't need to try to be good. You don't need to earn anything, impress anyone. You can live a life in the Spirit in freedom and joy. God, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to love today? Fill me. Give me your eyes. Let's have fun today. Did you know heaven is not a serious religious place? Everybody in heaven isn't sucking persimmons up there, you know. Jesus says, I want you to have my joy. The joy that I have with the Father. There's joy in the presence of God. And that's your birthright. But it'll never make sense until you believe that it is finished even for you. It's finished. You are free. And the response is gratitude. Paul, Romans 12. I beg you, brothers and sisters, in light of all that you have now in Christ that you didn't earn that is His gift to you, give your whole self a living sacrifice. That's the only way it's fun. That's the only way you'll discover what He wants to do with you is when He knows He has all of you. Does He have all of you, dear one? Why not? Why would you hold back on Him? Oh, well, I think I have a better plan for my life than the living Almighty God. I don't really know what God's will for me is. You know, there's no way you could get out of his will. You're just not that good. You're not that smart. You're not that powerful. His will is going to be done, just like we saw of Jesus. His purposes are being accomplished. So 
Rest in that truth. Celebrate it. Worship Him. Give thanks. Amen. It is finished. It is finished. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess to You that we, we leak. We move away from these truths back into our default thinking of having to perform to impress You or impress others. Oh, forgive us, God, for our stupidity and our small faith. Uh, give us boldness today to live as people of grace, to live in the freedom that all is paid, that I'm home free, and that now I can enjoy you and those you've put in my life and trust you to lead me to the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.